Welcome everybody to the Future of Podcast, the show about what our everyday activities could look like in 10, 20, or 50 years, and how we should prepare for those changes today. Because the future isn't just something tomorrow's generation walks into, it's something that we all create today. So I'm Trevor Paul, I'm Michigan's Chief Mobility Officer, and on today's show, we'll be looking at the future of electric vehicles. When was the tipping point? When exactly did electric vehicles become one of the hottest topics on the planet? So some say it was around 2017 when global carbon emissions from transportation finally exceeded global carbon emissions from all the factories and, and buildings in the world. Others say it was seasonal and visceral images of Gulf hurricanes and California wildfires. Even now, from the wildfires uh, that are clearing out populations in Tahoe to Hurricane Ida shutting down the New York City subway to all the floods this summer in places known for environmental stability like Michigan and Germany. The frequency of these catastrophic events seems to be getting worse by the season. Or maybe this tipping point, maybe this tipping point was just simple supply demand economics. Industry found a better way to lower costs while increasing vehicle sales. Whatever the tipping point was, the importance of an interest in transitioning to electric vehicles has finally aligned. It's created this new urgency that we're seeing from governors as they pledge to create carbon neutral states. Our Michigan governor has pledged to be a carbon neutral state by 2050. California, Massachusetts have done the same and same. And you know, we're we're also seeing big companies like Detroit's uh, General Motors, Ford, Stellantis making billions of dollars in investment around electric vehicles and committing to, to be carbon neutral companies in the future as well. So the world is changing. So how do we begin to make sense of it all to help us understand it, to help us understand what the future of electric vehicles could look like? We are joined by Vishant Kathari from the World Resource Institute. Vishant is keenly interested, goes to bed every night and wakes up every morning thinking about how electric vehicles will impact cities and the grid. Vishant, how are you doing? How's life in the fast lane? Trevor, great to be here with you. It is so exciting to be part of uh, the the EV ecosystem, so to speak, um, and uh, and and glad that I, we have an opportunity here to discuss this further. All right. Well, let's get after it. So, I'm going to start with a very broad question: What does the transition to electric vehicles mean for people who still own, like me, an internal combustion engine vehicle today? Yeah, I think there are there are two things. Um, I think it means that there are now more options, and the second is now there is an opportunity. And I'll and I'll speak to both in just a minute. Uh, options, right? So. Uh, up until really recently, uh, those with internal combustion engine vehicles just didn't have sufficient options to look at alternatives, um, particularly in the electric vehicle segment. Uh, with the emergence of uh, Tesla and Rivian and a number of others uh, that have um, disrupted the industry uh, to to the early part, to the early extent, and then now we see the incumbents like GM, as you mentioned, really picking up pace in this in this area. Um, those that own uh, internal combustion engine vehicles now have options, right? So I think that's that's sort of part one. Part two is the opportunity. Um, Oftentimes now we're hearing so much more about climate change. You really laid this out really well in the introduction, right? Uh, and uh, and we hear this 
quite regularly where um, folks want to do something about it but just don't know how just don't know what steps they can take in their daily lives to help mitigate the effects of climate change um, now let's be very clear it is the, the, the natural disasters that are getting more exacerbated of course but it is also now trickling into the everyday products that we use right uh, products are getting more expensive uh, they're getting harder to, to find food is getting harder to grow so I think all of these pieces basically mean um, the climate change impacts uh, everybody's lives and so everybody now I think feels this responsibility to contribute and shifting to an electric vehicle uh, is one is one way to do that and so um, and, and so that brings me to the opportunity piece this is an opportunity for for every everyday people like you and me to, to shift uh, our emissions and make them much cleaner so what then would you say to, to people that are hesitant to buy an electric vehicle because of something like range anxiety? I can't drive it up north. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what happens if I get stuck and I'm nowhere near a charging station? The fear that comes along with ownership that sometimes can even be the reason why someone would not buy an electric vehicle, even though they know it's the lowest cost to own option that they have in front of them. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, that that's that's ter- that's a terrifically framed question, I'd say. Um, range anxiety. Let's. It helps, I think, to dive in a little a little deeper into what that really means, right? It is the anxiety that is typically caused due to perception that my electric car will run out of battery when I am in the middle of the road, right? And that naturally causes fear and anxiety. So, um, so. How does how does one overcome that? I think the one simple way to go around that is awareness and education. Um, awareness and education about what? Um, here, here's an interesting data point. The average American, about 90% of the trips is, is anywhere between 30 to 40 miles a day, right? And, and the vehicles that we see out in the market, the electric vehicles have anywhere in the 150 to 250 mile uh, range on a full battery. Uh, and so what that really means is you can comfortably go about 90, 90% of your trips uh, on a daily basis without having to worry and charge even every day. Now, now the question actually arises, what do we do about that remaining 10%? Right? And that 10% is where we begin to look at alternatives because that, that makes up such a smaller piece of the pie. The other piece that contributes to this 10% is charging infrastructure. Right? And that's, that's the second point that I want to make here. Uh, we see there's now a lot of interest from the, fe- from the federal level. President Biden has made a commitment of 500,000 charging stations out in the public um, shortly. Uh, and that really is a market signal, right? It's a market, market signal to say there is a demand out there for charging infrastructure and that the market needs to move in deploying these charging stations, not, not just anywhere and everywhere, but especially in communities that need it most. Um, One interesting stat I read recently was, well, fewer than 10% of uh, Americans have easy access to charging infrastructure, right? And and the ones that do uh, tend to be wealthy and white. 
Uh, and so I think it so clearly begs a question uh, and really a, a conclusion, which is we need to have more charging infrastructure. If we if if there is a lot more of that, we'll be able to see a lot more of these conversations regarding range anxiety and so forth just die down. At least that's yeah. my hope. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So so in Michigan, we are laser focused on rolling out charging infrastructure. And and even, you know, the in innovations around charging infrastructure, what are some of the firsts that Michigan can roll out uh, versus other states? And it's a friendly competition because we also talk to the same states about, you know, what it would look like to do a Midwest network or even have a national conversation around standards. But mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about sort of humanize this for folks. What does charging infrastructure look like in 5, 10, 20 years? And what does it do for things like gas stations, parking structures, and apartment buildings? Yeah. No, I, th I think charging infrastructure now uh, presents an opportunity where we can rethink how vehicles are fueled. Right. Um, and and let me bucket charging infrastructure in three in three areas, uh, and, I'll, and I'll timeline that also. Right. So initially, charging infrastructure came out, uh, and let's let's call them unmanaged chargers. Right. And what unmanaged chargers basically mean is like your phone charger. Right. When you plug it into the wall socket and you plug the other end into your phone, it will charge. It will charge up until it is uh, the battery is full, and then it will stop charging. Right, and that let's call that unmanaged charging. A lot of the chargers early on for electric vehicles were unmanaged charging, right? And un and unmanaged chargers. Now, unmanaged chargers uh, don't really have any data connectivity or network ability. Um, and that became sort of a, a challenge because people tend to, you know, charge at specific times of the day. And the demand during those times can sometimes reach uh, a peak uh, when it comes to when it comes to the local grid and its ability to electrify uh, its its service area. So that really led to the second type of charger, which is managed charging. Right now, managed charging is really you take the first type of charger and add a whole lot of uh, communication and IT infrastructure as part of the charger so that now the charger can speak a little bit to your vehicle, but also speak a little bit to the grid. Right. Uh, and now this this conversation that the charger can have, really, this data interaction uh, can help in managing when the vehicle can charge uh, and at what times of the day. Right. So that we're able to maintain this balance when it comes to grid infrastructure, but also uh, any peaks that charging might uh, might cause. And, and we're seeing a lot of the current deployments in the second bucket. Um, right now, right? Managed charging is huge. Most of the chargers that we see and talk about is the managed charging uh, piece. Uh, and now I'll speak a little bit about the future. Uh, and this is uh, the third bucket, which I'll just call sort of vehicle to everything, right? It's it, uh, the industry term is V2X. Uh, a lot of it, versions of this exist. There's V2G, which is vehicle to grid. There's V2B, which is vehicle to building and so forth. But in essence, what that means is the charger here is able to not only charge your vehicle one way, but also potentially discharge from your vehicle the electricity from your battery and send it back either to the grid or to the building. 
right? So it, it can make not only data communication two ways, but electron flow two ways. Um, another way to think about this is oftentimes there are accessories that attach to our phones, right? Like a USB fan or a USB light. Uh, and that really digs and uses the battery capacity of the phone. This is something similar. You know, I, I think the point you make or the larger theme here is that there is so much going on behind the scenes for you or I to effectively and feel, you know comfortably drive an electric vehicle. So that said, looking out in the future, um, mm -hmm. when do you think most of America will be driving electric vehicles? And then when do you think most of the world will be driving electric vehicles? If you could put a timeline on it. Yeah, I, 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 let me give this a go. Um, I think most of the world uh, will either be driving or certainly have access to a variety of electric vehicles really by the end of this decade, right? Um, I think that's that's the big one. And, and at least as far as the US is concerned, uh, there is a big push to make sure that at least 50% of US vehicle sales uh, by 2030 are electric. Right, and we've seen a number of states come up with uh, uh, different versions of what that will look like for their states. But broadly, we're seeing around 30 percent, uh, 30 to 50 percent of adoption by the end of this decade uh, in the U.S. Outside of the U.S., well, let me speak about Europe for just a quick second. Europe is slightly ahead. Uh, the adoption rates that we're seeing in Europe is uh, certainly ahead of uh, the U.S. market currently. They have uh, considerably more favorable um, purchase policies. They have great uh, infrastructure deployments at this point. Um, and so that is enabling a lot of the adoption there. Um, Another region that is slightly ahead of the U.S. certainly is China, which is really the global leader in electric vehicle adoption. Uh, and China has uh, taken a, a whole of systems approach uh, when they are uh, thinking and deploying electric vehicles. Um, some of the other countries, some of the other major countries, I'd say in the global south, like India, uh, Indonesia, uh, Brazil, um, I think these Mexico, these are all countries that are that have begun to take steps to electrify their transportation, and and hopefully we'll see a lot more of uh, of these countries pick up pace in the coming years. So I have I have one more question, um, mm -hmm. and because it's something that is on our minds here in Michigan. Um, we are we are very very focused on transitioning our workforce from working on uh, you know internal combustion engines to new components new technologies like self driving systems and specifically for our conversation batteries um, mm -hmm. electric powertrains this will present I think opportunities for new diversity uh, the automotive industry will look a lot different the, the workforce will look a lot different because of all the skill sets that are, are now needed because of sort of the emphasis that companies are now putting on diversity which is so 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 important and I think will help these companies excel in ways that that we just haven't seen over the last decade couple of decades what will the future electric vehicle workforce look like and and why is sort of this how is this this opportunity particularly important in a sense of getting minority groups women more involved um through their careers and and even through their mobility choices because you know what the future of mobility just has to be inclusive 
yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there, uh, Trevor. Uh, you mentioned women. Uh, let me let me to speak a little about that. Um, women influence at about eighty percent of vehicle purchase decisions in the U.S. Um, and so that data point basically tells me, you know, women are certainly at the forefront of this electric vehicle transition um, and are, are a key, key uh, group that, that need to be brought in a lot more from the industry side, right? Currently, uh, we're seeing only less than 25% of the automotive industry comprised of women uh, and much less so when it comes to the executive level. Right. Um, by including more women in the workforce, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to design vehicles not only for men, which has traditionally been the case, but for women as well. Um, that can mean a lot of different things, but at this point, we just haven't had the opportunity to even explore that. Uh, and so that is that is really my sort of big picture when it comes to bringing more women in, not only at really towards the end or their sort of their purchasing decisions piece, but it starts really at the start. It starts at the design phase. It starts at who's made up of the workforce and how can women get more involved. Um, you mentioned other minority groups. I think the, a key partner here in this transition will be community colleges. Um, and community colleges uh, developing training programs, workforce development programs, uh, which uh, not only, uh, which, well, not only focus on building new skills that the electric vehicle industry will need, but more importantly, skills that current workers in the internal combustion industry will need to transition into the electric vehicle space, right? Uh, this the last thing that we want in this transition is to leave anybody out. Uh, and now is, is a big opportunity to bring a variety of these groups into the fold. And I think it starts with uh, workforce training, workforce development, manufacturing, and then moving more towards the purchase side. Well, Vishat, this has been so awesome and so informative. One more question. If listeners want to get a hold of you and keep the conversation going, where can they find you? Absolutely. Listeners can find me uh, at, at WRI. Uh, there is a profile page and you can just certainly welcome to write to me there. Find my LinkedIn, my Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm active on both those platforms and uh, I'd love to have a, a follow-up conversation. Well, there you have it. All right. Thanks, Vishant. And listeners, don't forget to subscribe today and have the Future of Podcast right there at your fingertips. You can download it uh, each month through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on how the state of Michigan is shaping the future, visit michiganbusiness.org slash mobilitymi. And to all of our listeners, I will see you in the future. Bye, everybody.